morning again, Grace family. I finally made it all the way to Buffalo, New York, completing our two-week cycling adventure. We've had a great time. God has been good. I've enjoyed uh, almost all of it. There's been some rough spots along the way, but what a what an awesome, awesome God we have, and what a beautiful, beautiful creation that I've been able to enjoy over these last two weeks. And so my journey comes to an end. This morning I'm getting on a plane and flying back to L.A. back to be with you all in Norwalk and excited to return home and excited for this adventure that, uh, like I said, we've looked forward to this for the year, planning and anticipating, and it's been so, so worth the, the time and effort and everything that's got into it. It's been a great, great trip. Our speaker this morning is another of uh, my good friends, uh, Tim Kurtanik. has been a friend for a long, long time. Uh, we call each other Rudy, and if you're with us, you'll hear us greet each other that way. Uh, we roomed together one year at our district pastor's retreat, and so it has always kind of been our, our little thing that we share together. Uh, my roommate, Rudy. Uh, TK has traveled an exciting life's journey. Uh, he grew up as the son of Dr. Nicholas Kurtanik and pastored here in Norwalk for 17 years, I think. So many of uh, TK's growing up years were spent right here uh, inside this building. His father preached every Sunday for those 17 years. And uh, TK then left uh, Southern California and back to Indiana where he served with our uh, National Christian Education Ministry, uh, CE National, kind of later rebranded with uh, church extensions, church, church enhancement, church um, just involved. TK led Operation Barnabas teams. He, he's just been up to his eyeballs in the really ministry that youth has been a big, big part of his life. And uh, I just loved uh, watching him. I've loved serving alongside of him. And it's my privilege to introduce him again this morning. Uh, someone who doesn't need a whole lot of introduction. Some of you have known him since he was a very, very young man. But uh, TK agreed to come again and to fill the pulpit to share God's word with us this morning. So uh, will you welcome uh, my roomie, Tim Kurtanik. Good to be with you today. Yeah, it's my roomie up on the screen, and let's just say I'm really glad. He's biking all those miles, and I'm not, okay? But uh, I, I've been tracking him on social media and whatnot, and seeing his pictures, where they're doing, and again, I'm glad he's doing it, and I'm not. But uh, we look forward to him coming back into town, and uh, him being back with us for sure. Real privilege for Dana and myself to be here today, and uh, grateful for the opportunity to be able to share from God's Word. Right before we get into that, we're going to ask any children that are here to come up so we can pray for them and then send them on their way. And uh, we are so glad that you are here. So come on up. Don't be shy. Come this direction. We're going to pray. Is that a good-looking crew or what? Huh? Yeah. That's a good-looking crew. I'll tell you one thing that this church has always been strong in. I came here in 1972. That was just three years ago. Don't worry about it, okay? But when I came in 1972, and it continues to this day, this church has always believed in the next generation. It has always invested in the next generation. Whether that be children, whether that be youth, whether that be young adults. This church has always had a heart for the next generation. Can I say, I believe it's also why God has blessed this ministry. Let's pray for these young ones as they continue to make a difference in this world for Jesus. God, we love you, and we're grateful that we can gather here today to celebrate your great name. Father, we are thankful for those that are standing right up front here. God, they are special. They are loved. God, certainly by you, but by this group of people here in this building as well. God, help them to know that they are loved, that they are cared for, and God, that Jesus loves them more than anything. God, we pray that their time together in class would let them know how much they're loved and, God, how you want to see their lives changed in following Jesus and to make a difference in this world for Christ. God, give them courage, give them boldness, help them be kind and be loving. And, God, we want them to know that they are loved. God, bless their time today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. That stage left, stage right. I was never a theater kid. That way. That way. Very good. All right. Hey, last time that I was with you, uh, was thinking, what do you share on when you kind of get like what one hit wonders? You know, you're going to be here one time. Didn't know I was going to come back today. And so I thought, you know, it's been a tough 
couple of years, and so I thought, let's talk about this concept of encouragement. And so we talked about the art of encouragement. And uh, specifically, we looked at Acts chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, and we talked about this person whose nickname was Barnabas. And those verses that are up there on the screen, Acts 11, 23, and 24, when Barnabas arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And anybody who's ever been on Operation Barnabas knows that you have to then say Acts 11, 23, and 24. This man is a classic example of someone who was an encourager. This man's name was actually Joseph, but his nickname was Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And we looked at some passages from the book of Acts and said there were probably three main traits that made Barnabas an encourager. The first one is that he was generous. The example we see in Scripture in Acts 4 is that he gave a financial gift because there was need in that area of Jerusalem, and so he was a generous man. And obviously the application is we need to be generous if we're going to be an encouragement. That could be in finances, but maybe it's in our time. Maybe it's in our talent. Certainly it can be in our treasure. But it's a way to be an encouragement is to be generous. Another thing we looked at was that this man was active. He was not passive when it was Saul who became Paul, first became a Christ follower. It was this man, Barnabas, who stepped in and said, no, no, he is one of us. You don't have most of the New Testament. You don't have so much of what goes on in the New Testament church without the Apostle Paul. You don't have him without this man, the encourager, Joseph Barnabas. And the last thing we looked at is this is also a man who gave grace. He and Paul, Saul became Paul, and they had a disagreement about this man, John Mark. They were on a missionary trip. They split. John Mark left. And it came for a time for another missionary trip. And John Mark wanted to go again. Paul said, not with me. Barnabas said he needs another chance. Paul took Silas, John Mark went with Barnabas, and we know at the end of Paul's life that Barnabas was the one that was right because he gave the second chance. The best way to be be encouraged is to actually be an encouragement. So let's be generous. Let's be active with our faith. Let's be the kind of people who give second chances. We gave as an illustration five love languages, the ways that people express love, and I threw them up here on the screen, and we took a little time, but, you know, it's words. That's my chief love language, is words of affirmation. Quality time is spending time with them as a way to love people. Acts of service, doing things for other people, receiving gifts. It doesn't have to do with the monetary value of them. It's that you were being thought of. The folks especially that have that love language know, that person was thinking of me. It's how they feel most loved. And the last one, appropriate physical touch. Now, I was looking to play on social media and stuff, and maybe this relates to you about how you can see this played out. So, so here are the five love languages in a way I can understand. The next one is words of affirmation. Hey, these are good tacos. See, I understand that. That's words of affirmation. I appreciate those tacos. Those are good tacos. What about this one? How about this idea of a quality time? Hey, let's go get tacos together. See, there's quality time going on there. All right. Third one after that, not just quality time, but actual service. I made you some tacos. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Let's go. I made you some tacos. Acts of service. The fourth one. Hey, receiving gifts, here are some tacos. Thank you. I feel loved. And then the last one. Maybe it's physical touch, right? Physical touch. Arms wrapped around a person in a warm hug like a taco. Okay? So, again, one of those things, just an illustration of those five long languages in which we can be an encouragement to others. The week that I shared on this man Barnabas, got a text from a young lady who was on one of our Operation Barnabas teams, and uh, I edited it down a little bit. But these were words that blessed my heart from her. 
uh, Dee the great gal loves Jesus. This is what she wrote to me. I'm sitting outside the middle school camp I've had the privilege to counsel at, praying and overwhelmed with the gratitude I'm experiencing. Jesus is impressing very heavily on my heart at this moment to reach out and say thank you. I walk away from tonight feeling the freest I've ever felt from getting to be a part of changed students' lives and praying with strangers who have chosen Jesus. I feel nothing more than the most fulfilled and confident for the path and purpose God has shown me. I'm here at this point of life where I feel nothing other than to dedicate my life to making disciples and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. To have students say to me, I want to tell people about Jesus, but I don't know how or where to start. And being able to respond by saying, I can help and show you, is the most amazing feeling there is. There is more to life when you choose Jesus. I pray for you and your family often. God bless. She then went on to say a few more really nice things about Max and Margaret, who are also her team leaders. And I thought, man, those are the kind of words that give life. I hope that you are encouraged, but I also hope that you are an encouragement as well. So here I am again today, one more time, and you go, well, what what are you going to talk about? Well, I've had people ask me that today. In fact, my own wife goes, hey, what what are you preaching on? And I said, "Um, Jesus. And she rolled her eyes, as every wife has the ability, and um, yeah, it's okay, that's right. Uh, But really, that's who we're going to talk about. Because I'm thinking, okay, if you go from encouragement, what is it that we need to know? We know about Jesus. We know a lot of things. Uh, But as we consider this whole idea, there is a whole lot in our culture about Jesus. Jesus is mentioned quite a bit. He's in songs. He's mentioned in social media. He's mentioned in all kinds. Everybody seems like they've got an opinion on Jesus. I worked with a guy, we were talking about some spiritual things this last week. And it was interesting, his views on Jesus. Let's just say they're not going to match up very well with what we're going to look at in the scriptures today. But he has an opinion about Jesus. Uh, even social media. Uh, Nick, you want to throw that slide up there. Some people think that Jesus is out to get them. Now, I personally find that kind of humorous and kind of funny. But behind that, the reason it's funny is people in the back of their mind have the idea that Jesus is watching and he's out to slam you and he's out to get you. See that all the time. People have an opinion about Jesus. But what is Jesus really like? And then what does that mean for our lives? If you would turn your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to look at some very specific things that are mentioned about this man, Jesus. And then talk about what that has to do with the way that you live and the way that I live. Hebrews chapter 1. Starting in verse 1, and we're going to continue through verse 4. Would you stand in reverence to the word of God, please? We're going to look at this scripture and have prayer and then continue. Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Father, we're grateful for your word this morning. Thankful for what it reveals and shows us about Jesus. We would pray, God, that we would understand, that we would learn, that we would know. And most of all, God, that we would live out this truth as we go into this world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the one who is matchless and above all. Amen. You may be seated. Maybe you come here today and it's been a hard week. Uh, Maybe you didn't sleep well last night. Maybe you're interested in tracking a certain NFL game on your phone. I can tell you, you only need to remember one phrase. And if you remember this one phrase from this entire sermon today, then you've got it. 
So here it is. The one phrase is this from Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4. Jesus is better than anything in every way. Let me say it again. Jesus is better than anything in every way. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus is better than anything in every way. Ready? Jesus is better than anything and in every way. Everything we're going to talk about comes back to that phrase, which is rooted in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, which is a description about Jesus. Jesus is better. He's better than anything, and he's better in every way. This book of Hebrews is an interesting book because it was written about 10 or 20 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So a decade or two right in that area. We don't exactly know who wrote it. It's unusual for our books in the New Testament. Some hypothesize it's Paul, but the writing style doesn't exactly match. But some have even said it's Barnabas. Wouldn't that be a kick? Wouldn't that be a hoot if it was him? But somehow this person is very familiar with Jewish tradition. That is very much filled with Jewish history, Jewish verbiage, Jewish examples. And just as the first four verses, the entire book, the central figure is Jesus. If you kind of just even wade through the first two chapters, and maybe your Bible even has headings, the idea that Jesus is being compared to the angels and Jesus is better. The comparison that Jesus compared to the prophets, Jesus is better. Goes on and gives specific examples of Moses and also of Aaron. And by comparison, Jesus is better. It goes on to talk about the sacrifices. Because again, this is about Jewish culture, Jewish tradition, Jewish religion, right? The sacrifices comparing to Jesus. Jesus is better. Even compared to Melchizedek. The priest who never had a beginning or an end mentioned in scripture. He's a type of Christ. But by comparison, Jesus is better. Hence the name for our sermon, the sermon title I chose, Greater Than. Maybe just even a symbol if you're into mathematics, right? So if you think in symbols or pictures, it's just that. Greater than. Who's greater than? Jesus is greater than. Why? Because Jesus is better than anything and in every way. Because we are looking at this scripture, which has so much roots in Judaism, we need to understand that we need to go to the text and understand what it is as they would have understood it. It's not enough for us to look at a passage and think, oh, what does this mean to me now? We'll apply later. But the reality is, what was being spoken to these Jewish people at this time in this culture? Well, it's interesting as we look at Hebrews chapter 1, 1 to 4, that the author says there are seven reasons why Jesus is better than everything in every way. Now, to you and to me, that may not be very significant. Seven, great, let's get on with them. But in Jewish culture, the number seven is incredibly important. It is a number of perfection. It is a number of completion. And the way a lot of times that we think in our culture, if I'm making an argument or stating a case and I've got, say, seven ideas, I'm usually going to start with number one being the most important. Make sense? If you go to a dictionary and you're looking up the meaning of a word, whatever the first definition that is written there in a dictionary in our culture, it's the most commonly used description. All the others are just as good. It's just that's used... In Jewish culture, it's completely flipped. It's flipped in that the seventh idea, the number of completion, the most important idea is the seventh. It's the last idea. So keep that in mind as we go through quickly these seven ideas that we are building to the seventh one. We're building to the last one. A little different than our culture, but important to know. Jesus is greater than. Jesus is better than anything and in every way. Well, let's get started with what that means. The very first description about this Jesus, according to Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, is that Jesus is the heir of all things. Heir of all things. When I think about that idea, that concept of an heir, we all know that when things are passed on from the generation previous, 
We know kind of how that works. But what's interesting is that Jesus is just the heir of some things. He is the heir of everything given to him by his Father. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 say this. God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be the head over everything. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, and who fills everything in every way. Jesus is described as the heir, the owner of all things. Now, some of you are thinking, well, didn't you have Satan tempting Jesus three different times? And Jesus quoted scripture to get out of that. And he said, if you bow down to me, Satan did to Jesus, then I will give you... Satan has been given allowance by God the Father. And yet, in reality, at the end of time, it's still under the control of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So yes, there was a time, there is a time, where Satan is the prince of the power of the air and in control. And yet, in reality, who is ultimately in control is God himself. And at the end of time, especially, but even now too, Jesus is the heir of all things. I, I find verse 18 interesting in Ephesians chapter 1 because it also says this. This is even good news for you and for me. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. Interesting that verse 18 references how everything is Christ. He is the heir of all things and he shares that with us. That should be good news for you and for me this morning. Is yes, Jesus is the heir of all things, but he shares that with us, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. He passes that all on to us. I remember being in more than a few meetings, probably around here as well, uh, talking about budgets. That um, Remember the old hymn, some of you might remember, that Jesus, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills? And I remember being in some of those meetings saying, if Jesus would just sell a few of those cows, we could really use some of that money right now. The reality is this, though, that Jesus does own the cattle. He owns everything. And he shares that with us because he is the heir of all things. The first thing stated about why Jesus is better than anything and in every way. But it goes on from there to a second idea. The second idea is that Jesus is described in Hebrews chapter 1 as the creator. Jesus is the creator. Genesis chapter 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we hear that and know that, but the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each have different roles in the act of creation. Some of you are going, really? Well, remember in Genesis chapter 1, that it says in the scriptures that God said, let us make man in our own image, talking about the triune God. Jesus specifically, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For by him, for by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Jesus was creator. Some people would say, well, all things that are then creative flow out of that. In talking about this concept with students through the years, we've done different things. We won't take the time to do it today, but I'd have them create, if you will. They could write a song or they write a poem. Most of those poems, I think, started roses are red, violets are blue, but I digress. But all of it then comes from God. But that's not exactly what this word means. This concept of the word that Jesus is creator really means that he made out of nothing. So when you know, we're doing our roses are red and violets are blue, we're still using letters and we're using words and we're using sentences that have already been formed. Jesus, when he created, created out of nothing. The Old Testament and the New Testament both speak to Jesus as creator. One more reason why he is better than anything and in every way. We move on to the third idea, that third concept of the seven. Building to that seventh being most important. The third idea that's shared with us is that he is the radiance or the brightness of God's glory. That Jesus is the brightness or the radiance of God's glory. And again, we're talking about a book that was written to Jewish people. They would have understood that this reference to God's glory refers to the Shekinah glory. 
And if you go back into the Old Testament, we understand that is where the presence of God is. In fact, that word, Shekinah glory, refers to the word to dwell. Is in relationship of God lives there. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. means he is God. He dwells there. Exodus chapter 13. If you remember some stories from Sunday school. Some of you are reading. Exodus 13. When the Jewish people were exiting Egypt. And they were on their way to the promised land. In that 40 year journey. We remember that there was a pillar of cloud that would go before them in day. And there was a pillar of fire that would go before them. That is the description. Those same words are used with the idea of brightness or radiance of God's glory. Is that's where he dwelt. That's Jesus. Warren Wiersbe, a great pastor and writer, says this. I find this very descriptive and very interesting about Jesus being the radiance of God's glory. Christ is to the Father what the rays of the sun are to the sun. He is the radiance of God's glory. As it's impossible to separate the rays from the sun, it is also impossible to separate Christ's glory from the nature of God himself. Jesus is God. And one more reason why Jesus is better than anything and in every way. We come to the fourth idea, building to that seventh. The fourth idea is that Jesus, according to this author in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is the exact representation of God himself. He is the exact representation of God himself. Mentioned that when uh, our family came to this church in 1972, I was 10 years of age. And... Uh, I have to laugh every time I say something like that because not that long ago I did a funeral for uh, for Doris Hoover, who's a longtime member of this church. Uh, years before that, we were having lunch, and she turns to Dana and says, "You know, when Timothy was young and I was teaching Saint School, he was really an odd child." <laughs> and I wouldn't say he was wrong. She was wrong. I wouldn't say it was wrong. But uh, when I first got here, I heard it, and I heard it other times growing up. You look just like your dad. Maybe some of you have been around all the time and kind of go, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Um, I never saw it. And number two, I always laugh because I'm adopted. <laughs> I always laugh. But you look just like your dad. That is not the concept at all of being the exact representation. We think that that way. Oh, they're just like, no, the exact representation. This idea of the exact imprint, our English word character comes from this. And the idea from the Greek word translated image literally means that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of the very substance of God himself. He's not kind of like or sort of reminds him. He is the very nature and image of God. When I was probably junior high age or so, kind of an odd gift. Uh, my parents got me like this, I don't even know what you call it. It's like an embosser, sealer, you know what I mean? Um, I wish I could tell you I stamped this in all my books and I have all... It mm, doesn't work real well on a Kindle anymore, trust me on this, okay? Uh, maybe you could help me with this, alright? I've got my embosser here. We'll put it right here. And uh, here's just a piece of paper. And uh, you want to go and push that lever? Just push it on down. Push it hard. Push it hard. Keep going. Keep going. Great. That's good. I love you. Now, what, what do you see on that paper right now? It's a stamp. It is the exact representation. It says, Library of Timothy P. Kratanik. Thank you, by the way. Well done. But the exact idea of representation, that is Jesus being the exact representation of God the Father himself. Sure, I'm sure why I still have that 40 some years later, but I still have that. It reminds me, it is an exact imprint Jesus is of the Father. The Apostle Paul said the very same thing, though. Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, For in Jesus, in him, the whole fullness of deity bodily dwells. Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father himself. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That word firstborn kind of throws some folks because they're like, well, there were people that were born before Jesus. It refers to not who was born first, but the idea of who is number one. 
Who is top of the list? Who is the top dog? Who is that? That's Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is better than everything and in every way. Well, Paul said that about Christ. What did Jesus say about himself? In John chapter 10, verse 10, a verse I'm sure you know, it says, I and my Father are one. John chapter 14, verse 9, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. People who say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Again, if you look at the scriptures in the light of which they were shared, understood by the people they were written to, I have one question. If Jesus didn't claim to be God, then why did the Jewish rulers always take up rocks to try and kill him? They understood exactly what he was claiming, that he himself, Jesus, was God. Well, the fifth idea is we build to this idea of number seven, the most important, but number five says about Jesus that Jesus sustains all things through his word. This is not the idea that this is burdensome and Jesus walks around with the world on his back and it's too heavy. It's no, it's the idea of holding and caring from one place to another. He's the God of creation and the God of providence who guides this universe to its divinely ordered destination. I found it interesting, just a quote as I was going through some stuff, and it just struck me. I thought, oh, I'll share. I really don't know who Dan Portland is, but I like what he said. Subtract Jesus from the universe, and what? Everything falls apart. He is not a bobblehead savior to be smiled at and merely added to in an otherwise well-oiled life. He is the mighty sustainer of the universe to, the, to whose supreme rule we will bow the knee in either this life or the next. He is not a mere add-on. Jesus is the one who sustains all things through his word. That's an interesting phrase. That this power comes through his word. It reminds me of when, that, when Jesus was being spoken to uh, by a centurion who wanted his child to be healed. And Jesus said, you know, on my way. And the man said, hey, I understand authority. i got people under me. You just say the word and it happens. Jesus sustains all things through his word because of his authority. And this really shows in a keen way that Jesus is the superior prophet. Jesus is the one who upholds everything by declaring God's word. Hence, he is the living word. Jesus, the great example of the greatest prophet. Why he is better than everything in every way. Number six is purifier of our sins. This one right before we get to number seven. Jesus is the purifier of our sins, according to Hebrews chapter 1, the first four verses. Jesus purified our sin all by himself. If you want more info about this, that's what Hebrews chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10 are all about, about how he was the provider and the purifier for our sins. He himself was the atoning sacrifice, because we know without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness, there is no remission of sin. He was the one who laid down his life. His life was not taken from him. He was the one who laid it down. And Jesus himself, not just was the purifier of our sins, he was also the sacrifice itself, the spotless lamb of God. Whereas those first ones are talking about him being, Jesus being the perfect priest, excuse me, the perfect prophet, this mention really talks about Jesus being the perfect priest. With the perfect sacrifice once for all. And have I built it up enough that here we are to number seven. The most intriguing and exciting reason about why Jesus is better than everything in every way. And here it is. Ready? He sat down. Uh, excuse me? Um, I thought you were building towards something. I thought this was going to be exciting. He said, some are going, I do that every day. Um, yeah. I remember being a kid. been a long day, right? Mom's made dinner. Things are done, cleaned up. She goes to the living room and I'm like, hey, Mom, can you? And I remember there were times she would say, I'm sitting down. I am done. <laughs> and so everybody, Amen. <laughs> As I think about creation, 
As I think about Genesis chapter 1, we know that when God made the world, when Jesus spoke it into existence, He, on day 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, so He goes there, He declared it, He spoke it, and said that it is good. It is good. We come to day 6. And day 6, He makes mankind. And He says about that, Oh, that's very good. But what does He do on day 7? He rested. He sat down. Not because He's tired, but because it's finished. Which reminds me of another phrase that Jesus used when He was on the cross. After He was beaten. After He was nailed there. After He took all the sin of the world. His last words were, It is finished. That's why we don't add good works to our salvation. How could we? He's the one who finished it. He sat down. You think about it though. Who is it that sits? It's not a priest. A priest never sits down in this Old Testament concept. A priest is always moving. Always, there was no chair for the priest to sit down in. They were busy working. So yes, Jesus the perfect prophet. Jesus the perfect priest. What this is really talking about is that Jesus is the perfect king. Who sits? A king sits. Why? Because those around him serve him. And where is it that Jesus sits? Well, according to Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, he sits on the right hand of God the Father, a place of favor. Jesus is greater than anything in any way. He is the greatest prophet. He is the greatest priest. He is the greatest king. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 to 4 speaks to that. But it made me think just a little bit. Well, what would people who spent time with Jesus have thought or said about this? You know, take your Bible and kind of flip back to Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at some verses in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4. One story, really. We kind of divide things up because they're different chapters. But one of my absolute favorite stories in the book of Acts has to do with what went on in Acts 3 and 4. And it goes on to say that in verse 1, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those who entered the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and as John did that too, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. Why would he do that? Well, he thought he was going to get something. Absolutely. And Peter said those great words, right? I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. What a scene. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wow, that is an incredible miracle. Who were these guys, Peter and John? Well, they're people that were closest to Jesus and so you're going, why tell this story? I'm not so much interested in the story as I am with what it was that Peter says afterwards. With this miracle, he has the opportunity to address the crowd. And what is it that he says? Well, check out as we go into verse 11. He clung to Peter and John and all the people, utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Interesting, the people were so amazed. The people ran just to be around Peter and John. And Peter, he must have been a good preacher. He saw a crowd and goes, this is my chance. So what is it he does? He sees and he addresses the crowd. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? I don't know, if it, is it just me? But I'm thinking, I just got to go in and be involved with something incredible. That somebody who's never walked in their life can now walk. I would at that point want to take a little bit of credit, but because of my connection with God, we were able to do... Those are not the words of Peter at all. Look what he says. 
The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect help in the presence of you all. These men who had been with Jesus all those years, this situation involved in the healing of a man that could not walk, and they completely deflected and say it's all about Jesus. Why? Because they understood that Jesus is better than everything in every way. It wasn't them. Well, we kind of miss this a little bit uh, as we then go into chapter 4 and these stories go together. It is interesting to note, by the way, that even Peter refers in verse 22 to Moses. Then he refers to Abraham, verse 26. It's interesting, some of the same arguments and the idea of Hebrews about why Jesus is better than everything in every way. He uses as well. We then go to Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 1. I can get there. I can't get there. This is the reason I told my wife last night, I never trust preaching from an iPad. I said, but I'll do it this time. Not working. Let's go back to Acts chapter 4. Here we go. Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 1. The priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000 people. Let me go on, verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders all get together. And it's a litmus test. Man, it's a whole group. Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, the other men of the high priest's family, they had Peter and John brought to them and began to question them, by what power or what name do you do this? And this is where it starts to get really good. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then this you need to know, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone that the builders rejected. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. This is what I love. Verse 13. What is the reaction from these religious leaders when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men? They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They weren't Bible school trained. They weren't seminary trained. These people had just been with Jesus. The same Jesus who is better than everything and in every way. They had been with Jesus. I think about verse 13. And when I was a kid growing up, the phrase, the verbiage was, man, you just faced him. That was like in his grill. That's a face job, by the way, on verse 13. But verse 14 is the mic drop. That's where, boom, this is something. Verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. Not only was it a major face job, it was a mic drop set game match from the words of Peter. Peter and John, they were there with the Mount of Transfiguration saw Jesus transfigured. They would have seen all the miracles that we read about in the Gospels. They saw Jesus risen from the dead. They gave their lives for this man because they knew the story wasn't a lie, but it was the truth. Well, what do we do with that? It's a lot of information. It's a lot of looking at even people who were with Jesus. What do we do 
with this idea that Jesus is better than everything and every way. Lon Solomon is a well-known pastor on the East Coast, and he would always make everybody in his congregation say, So what? I love that. What do we do with this truth? Well, I came up with, I wrote down, it seemed appropriate, seven ideas. Maybe some will connect with you. Question of application would be then this. One, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Merely knowing about Him is not enough. The demons know all the things that we have just said to be true. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. I remember being 17 years of age. An Operation Barnabas team came for the very first time to our church here. And uh, we went to the beach. The whole team, youth group went. Uh, and part of what we were doing, hanging out at the beach, having fun, doing some things around the campfire, so long, so good. But we also went out and went and talked to people for a little bit in the afternoon as well. And I remember Dennis Henry and Sue Johnson, who became a missionary to Haiti. The three of us were together. And we were walked around and we came upon a lady who was actually leaving. She's going to start walking through the parking lot. And uh, started talking with her. It turns out that she was divorced from a youth pastor. And we started talking about things of scripture, about Jesus. It was the first time in my life that I remember talking with someone who knew everything about Jesus, who knew everything about his substitutionary death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, and wanted no part of it. That was shocking to me, because up to that point in my life, my experience had been, they don't know because they haven't been told about Jesus. She knew about it, but had never said, I want to follow him with my life, because she understood it meant she had to give up control. I remember that day like it was yesterday. I remember that well. Just knowing about Jesus, have you given your life to him? Can you say, this is when I did this? You're going, yeah, but I'm here in church today, I'm hearing this. Just because you sit in a garage does not make you a car. Just being here, what do you do with this information about Jesus? He is better than everything anyway. What are you doing with it? Have you accepted that free gift? Have you repented, taken Him as your Lord and your Savior? Another idea, I hope, of application of Jesus being better than everything anyway, is I hope that it gives you confidence. If there's one thing that scares me, that I get creeped out by, it is snakes. I, I do not like it. People freak out about spiders. A snake? If I were to be bitten by a snake, pray to God that never happens, right? But if I went to the hospital to get some kind of treatment, anti-venom, and they hooked me up and, you know, they put the IV there and plugged it all in and all that stuff. And I look up and I see the clear liquid coming through. I would really, really hope that was anodenum. And not just, like, water in that bag, because it kind of looks like it. The reality is, is what's really in that bag, what is true, makes all the difference. Just because the nurse thought that it looked similar makes no difference. What's different is, and the only thing that makes a difference is, what is actually in the bag? Well, when it comes to this, I hope that this gives us confidence. It's not just that you can believe anything about Jesus. No, what, what does the scripture say about who Jesus truly is? I hope that gives us confidence because the truth matters. In this day and age, everybody talks about speaking my truth. Boy, there's so much wrong with that phrase. <laughs> but the reality is, we can know this Jesus who is better in everything in every way and should give us confidence. Here's another idea. What about if we know this Jesus? It should give us the opportunity to look, to share the good news with other people. Who are we praying for? Who are we trying to befriend? Who are we sharing Jesus with? Lots of stories at Home Depot right now of uh, looking for opportunities to share Jesus with people. And it's been fun and encouraging and crazy. It really has been for me personally. Here's another one. Are you spending time with this Jesus who is better in everything and every way? you looking at his word. Are you memorizing scripture? David was just talking with a lady and speaking in front of a little group. And she said, if you're going to memorize scripture, you want to do it when you're young. Because the older you get, the harder it is. And it's true. But memorize scripture. We have access to the truth of God's word that never before. The ability to listen to podcasts. What about the idea of just talking with him, speaking with him? 
doing home renovation this last 18 months has been an unbelievable amount of time that I get to spend talking with Jesus. He's not just, a, he is a personal friend. He is a personal Savior. And the opportunity to have interaction for me has been tremendous. Do we spend time with Jesus, reading his word, talking with him? How about this as far as application? If Jesus is better than everything in every way, what about the idea of getting involved in serving others and serving Him? I just looked through the bulletin this morning. There are opportunities listed in there that you can be involved with if you're not involved. Heights of Grace is going out, what, Saturday? Going out again. We've got groups that are coming to Urban Oak Training Center. There are opportunities to serve. Children's ministry. The list goes on and on. Am I involved in the work of the ministry because of Him? Number six, I came up with in my mind and thinking of how to apply this is, am I maturing in him if he's better in everything in every way? I'm amazed at the number of people I come across that no matter what happens, they go from one to a hundred, like boom, in their emotional response and emotional reaction, which is anything but godly. What happened to maturing in Christ and being about the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience? Those aren't the goals. Those are byproducts of living with Jesus, living with the Spirit. Getting involved, serving Him, but also maturing in Him so that it reflects in my life. And you're going, well, what's number seven? That's where I'm just going to sit down. I'm kidding. (laughs) Number seven, I left blank. Because I don't know what it is in your life that you need to apply. But I can guarantee you that's the most important one. Who am I to stand in front of you and tell you what it is? I don't know what the Holy Spirit does. Is your step today that you need to ask for salvation from Jesus? Repent of your sin? Excellent. Not sure which of these or any other that is in your life. But I do know this because of the scripture. That no matter what, Jesus is better than everything and in every way. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your word. God, we're grateful for what it reveals to us about Jesus. God, we're grateful for the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Father, thank you that our lives can be yours. Father, I pray that as we leave this place, we'd have great confidence to talk about this Jesus who loves, who loved the world. Father, he's not just one of many options. He is the Savior of the world. Father, I pray that you would help us to live in obedience and accordance with your word. And thank you for Jesus. While we're praying with every head bowed and every eye closed, I would just say this. Do you need to make a decision today? I don't need to know what that is. But maybe you need a moment to talk with God to say, you know what, Lord, I need to get this straight in my life because Jesus is better than everything in every way. Why don't you take a moment? Why don't you just talk with him? Is there anything that you need to get straight with him? Maybe it's you've never asked Christ to come to your life. Today, choose Jesus. Repent of your sin. Tell him that. If you just made any kind of decision, would you just look at me so I can pray for you? Thank you. God, you are good. We acknowledge that. We're grateful for you. We're grateful that we can be here today corporately to worship your great name, the great name of Jesus. Father, as we go from this place, may we be ones who represent him well, because Jesus is better in everything, in every way. We pray this in his matchless name.
thank you all for coming today. Uh, just a couple of reminders and a couple of announcements. Looks like Tyler Lansing is having a birthday, Friday, October the 22nd. Wow, we only have one. Uh, also, just a reminder, TK touched on it. We are going out Heights of Grace on the 23rd, Saturday. Um, so we will actually be doing uh, pumpkin painting again if you want to join us. If you have kids, bring them. If you have grandkids, you have nephews, nieces, bring them along. Uh, we'll be meeting at City Hall at about 9. Uh, we'll be there at 8.30 for setting up. If you want to help set up, that'd be fine. Um, but we'll be there at 9 and we'll probably be there till right around noon. Um, you don't have to stay the whole time, but we would love to have you come out. Um, also, please keep praying for the pastoral search team. We'll be meeting next week, and uh, we would just uh, really covet your prayers because we need to be in prayer for that, that God would bring that person to us, and that we would continue to just move forward with that search. Um, and uh, there are other stuff coming up. Uh, your quarterly giving reports are in the back. If you haven't picked them up, they're in your folders. Please pick them up. Uh, so let me just close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us. Um, I just pray that as we go out into this world, as TK uh, touched upon, is that we would share Jesus with those around us. With the opportunities you present, you would give us boldness uh, to walk through that door and share uh, the love of Christ and uh, just the grace that he bestows on us every day. Um, I just pray that as we go through the week, we'll continue to pray and stay in prayer um, for um, the many things that we are um, grateful for, but also um, for those around us that are ailing, those that are struggling, that we would just stay in prayer. Um, we know that that's what you've called us to do. Um, so I just pray that you will bring everybody back to us next week. Give everybody a safe passage home. Um, thank you for being here. Amen. 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 Have a good week.